Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Two seconds. He'll get a shot off on the way. Got it. Finds one. There's his game winner. On the move, on the way. Tucker will score. Sean Tucker with a touchdown. Gillen. Got it. Derek, you win. Are you serious? Five down. One to go. Syracuse is playing for the national title. It's too long, and Syracuse is your national champion. Who's out? Who's out? Who's out? Who's out? What's up, Syracuse fans? It's Mike McAlzer from AllSyracuse.com with episode 66 of the Believe in Syracuse podcast, presented by Bet Online and Hoffman Sausage Company. I am joined once again by Emily, Sammy, and Josh to talk about Syracuse basketball, some more Jim Beheim's comments, because what would a week be without some of those? He gives us a lot of fodder, which we greatly appreciate. And um, Coach, your, your check is in the mail, so thank you for doing that for me once again. And we will also talk about Syracuse men's and women's lacrosse. Syracuse men's lacrosse opened their season with a win over Vermont, and women's lacrosse starts their season this coming weekend with a top five matchup in the Dome. But first... Let's get to Syracuse men's and women's basketball, both beating Boston College. The Eagles do not like the Orange at all because they can't seem to beat Syracuse in basically anything. Syracuse beat them in football this past season. Syracuse men's basketball has beaten them 10 times in a row. And the Syracuse women's team has now swept them this season. So if you're a Boston College fan, I think Syracuse is pretty much a team you don't want to see in any sport at this point. Right, Josh? I would say it. I mean, I would. I would assume so because, like, even you talking about with um, you know, with football, yeah, it just seems that you know BC has been a ACC bottom dweller for a long time. So it's like across, like you said, across all sports, it seems that you know with us, me and talked about it, slumping right now for SU standards. You know, BC just can't, can't seem to get over the orange, and especially right now, that doesn't seem to be the best habit to have losing to the sub ACC, a, a, a mid tier ACC team. Well, and especially because much has been talked about with you know, Syracuse football and their slide towards the end of the season. And they rectified that by beating Boston College. Syracuse men's basketball, not that good this year by a lot of people's, you know, uh, analysis. Swept Boston College. Syracuse women's basketball has had a lot of issues in the fourth quarter this season. Lost a lot of games in which they had late leads, similar to the men. They swept Boston College. Um, Emily, I, I know you you watched both games. What were your takeaways from from uh, Syracuse men's and women's basketball beating Boston College? I feel like it was a much-needed win for both programs. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all of your favorite sports, contests, and events with first-to-market odds and lines. Find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, eSports, and even golf. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information from live in-game betting, props, and futures. Head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to join today and make your first sports bet. Use our promo code BLEAV50, B-L-E-A-V-5-0 to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. It was. I will admit I was editing a project for much of the men's game. And so a lot of what I saw was in bits and pieces. But man, this there's no way that anyone from Boston College can <laughs> pride say they want to play Syracuse ever again. It's getting bad. But as for the women's game, I was there. And 
the fourth quarter got a little dicey at the end, even though SU was clearly the better team. They were playing better the entire game. I I honestly I don't know what it is in the fourth quarter at this point. They've they've tried everything. It seems like even when Deasha Fair is doing what she does and playing like the star that she is, someone is dropping the ball. It it, it varies about who it is, but the fourth quarter is such a problem for that team. We're seeing it in the men's. I don't think it's nearly as bad as it is for the women, though. I mean, it's just they they had a top 10 team down to the wire in the fourth quarter and they couldn't close it out. And they're going into a stretch against three ranked teams. They got to get it together. Yeah. And it's it's funny because, you know, they had a 15 point lead at the half uh, against um, against Boston College. The, the women did and a 10 point lead going into the fourth quarter. And as you mentioned, they had a nine point lead against NC State going into the fourth quarter at mm-hmm. home. And so this isn't just a road fourth quarter thing. They, this has happened at home and they are, you know, maybe three fourth quarters away and, and they probably lost six of these types of games where they hold on and all of a sudden they're 18 and six and right in the thick of the NCAA tournament picture. But instead they're 15 and nine and, and they've got a bunch of work to do. Conversely with the men, it's not the last quarter of the game. It's like the last minute and a half yeah, and where they have their issues. But um, you know, this game against Boston college for the men, they did not have that issue. Uh, they they took control in the last like seven minutes of the game, Sammy. I know you, you traveled, you were there, um, and it, it was I think something that 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 team needed to end that losing streak, to finish the game off strong, and to play well down the stretch of a game, even if it's not against you know the the best competition that the ACC has to offer. Yeah, and they also need Jesse Edwards to do everything that he did that Saturday. He was, he was unbelievable. Un- Unreal, and he was so fun to watch too. Especially yes, he was. wait, seeing him being that aggressive on offense, there was no point. His off-ball movement was so good in that game. He was always looking for openings and space to just try to get the ball because he wanted to score. He wanted the ball more so than I think I've seen him in any other case this season. It's really fun to watch him, and it was a game where Gerard he played all right and he played well in other facets, picking up a couple a uh, couple rebounds, assists, etc. But he wasn't himself necessarily scoring wise. He had 18 points, but nine to nine at the free throw line. Actually, credit both teams for their free throw shooting. Both of them uh, were exceptional. Exceptional. I think three misses for both teams. I think it was 21 for 24, 21, or sorry, 18 for 21, if I'm not mistaken, um, for both sides at the free throw line. So both teams exceptional um, in that regard. Um, for the men, though, I thought overall too they did well just in terms of they were able to respond to everything and i think coach Beheim touched that in his uh post-game press conferences he noticed it especially in judah mince because typically judah if he's having an off day or has a, a mistake it typically spirals it typically turns into a little more and that you expect that he's a, he's a young player um obviously incredibly talented but it, it's a really strong sign when you can see him rebound he makes a mistake on one end turns around gets two big assists on the other end um, especially after timeouts and, and the team being able to corral around that. So that, that that's really what stood out for me. And there's there's a couple of things that I noticed in this game that, you know, aren't really going to show up in the box score. And and the Judah Mintz thing that you mentioned, the fact that he was struggling at one point, he comes out of the game, Samir Torrance gets a bunch of his minutes, and then he comes back in. And, you know, other than Jesse Edwards was the best player on the floor in the last really six, seven minutes of the game. And for a freshman to do that is, I think, 
that says a lot about him and his growth as a player. But I was watching him when he came out and how engaged he was in the game from the bench, cheering on his teammates, clearly paying attention to what's going on, wasn't sulking, but just watching the action, trying to, you know, figure out what was going on so that the second he went back in, you know, he was ready to go from a mental standpoint. And I also saw Benny Williams. I know he only played seven minutes and he had a couple of points and, you know, that was, that was pretty much it from, from his box score and much was made out of his absence in the Virginia game. But he was very engaged on the bench, cheering on teammates and, you know, slapping people five during timeouts and, you know, encouraging during team huddles and things like that. So I thought that was good to see, you know, his participation and being there and part of the team, even if he didn't play a major role um, in in terms of his minutes. Uh, now, Syracuse, the, the men's team, they've got a, a pretty big stretch here coming up. Um, I think if they want to get back in the NCAA tournament picture, they got to win out in the regular season. Uh, otherwise, they're going to have to win the ACC tournament to, to get there. But if you take out Florida State and Georgia Tech, those are two games that are bad teams that you should beat. And if you lose either one of those games, your NCAA tournament hopes are completely out the window and you have to win the ACC tournament. If Syracuse wins both of those games, the rest of their games are NC State at home, who's ranked, Duke at home, we know who Duke is, at Clemson, at Pitt, and Wake Forest at home. So, yes, it's going to be incredibly difficult to win all of those games. But if you win all of those games, all of a sudden the number of quality wins that you have shoots way up. Your net ranking is going to go way up. And I think that gets you at least back in the conversation in some capacity, Josh, to to try to make a run and get yourself, you know, in the discussion, whether you're still on the outside looking in going into the ACC tournament, you at least put yourself in position to be in that NCAA tournament discussion. It's tailgating season, and no one does it better than Hoffman's Sausage Company. Beer bratwurst, jalapeno cheddar sausage, kibasi, and bun-length chicken sausage. Add them to the menu with classic German Franks and snappy grillers, and fans will go wild. Proudly made in New York since 1879, when you bite into a Hoffman, you experience a little bit of upstate history. Taste tells, Hoffman is a proud partner of Syracuse University Athletics. I mean, like me and M just we just did a show about an hour ago. You know, we know making show stuff. You don't get a you don't have a whole hour to talk about everything. And we, you know, oddly didn't we? You have covered more issue basketball than we have because, like you said, we don't really see a, a a path right now for them to get to the NCAA tournament outside of like you said, you know, winning that conference t- uh, tournament. The thing that you're expecting, to, you're, the thing that you're saying is the only chance to save the NCAA at large bid hopes essentially is to do the thing that they haven't done all season. Which be Correct. a top tier ACC opponent. You know Correct. Like you and said. not just, but not that they haven't done it all season. Now they got to do it like five times. Fact. So yeah, it's incredibly difficult, but it's not impossible. And we, I've said it on here before. You know, you know, love can I heart Kendrick Davis is probably on my is tattooed on my back somewhere before tournament time. You know, this is the thing about being in a Power Five conference. You get these chances to get these quad one and quad two wins at any point during the conference season. You look. I, I keep saying it again, Big Mike. If you look at the AAC outside of Memphis and Houston, you're going to get a lot of quad three and quad four opportunities. When you're in a P5 conference, which is where all the big money is, this is why you know um, OU and you're saying these schools are trans, you know conference play. I get my word jumped up, but we know how big conference money is. We in a conference like the ACC, you have this slight glimmer of hope. Even if we could objectively say, even if they go on the six game, seven game winning streak, they're they're not a NCAA, they're not a, a top 68 team in the country. I think we could objectively say that. 
But if they can do something that they haven't done all season, you know, they can be an, they'll set themselves up nicely for, you know, a top seed in the tournament, in the ACC tournament, to be going in with some momentum. And I think that honestly, if you if you do find a way to knock off five, five quad one or quad two victories, the ACC tournament is just that's just that again, honestly. We saw with UConn with Kimba Walker, you know, they weren't a highly ranked team. Got hot at the end of the year. We saw Cardiac Kimba and MSG and that what he did in the Big East tournament. You know, this is a, a, a familiar Syracuse movie. At regular season, you get hot in the postseason. You have guard play that can carry you through postseason play. So, like, as big a believer I'm not right now, like I said, we've given it more time than me and M gave it. You know, not only is there a pathway to do it because of the conference you're in, we've seen this movie before. So you can't you can't count it out, but I'm 95% of the way there. <laughs> Listen, I mean, it's it's understandable to be 95% of the way there, given what's happened so far. But um, as you said, people have seen the story before. And I think with the pieces Syracuse has, that teams are hoping Syracuse doesn't get hot and makes a run, because I don't think they're a team you'd want to see in the NCAA tournament, given that Jesse Edwards is going to be a problem for a whole lot of teams uh, across college basketball. And then, you know, the guard play, if, if uh, Joe is hot and Judah's playing under control, those three guys get, we're going to give you a, a good chance in postseason play to, to make some noise. Uh, but switching over to the women's team, I, I think, um, you know, we were talking about this a little bit off air and, and Emily, you made a comment um, that I think is worth repeating. Uh, Daisha fair now has 2,500 career points and she is having an absolutely unbelievable season. I don't think it's appreciated locally or nationally to the level that it should uh, you know, she's and not only is she scoring at a high clip, but she is passing the ball incredibly well. She is right up near the ACC lead in steals. I mean, she's just having an incredible season. And, and I think it needs to be appreciated more and talked about more, uh, both nationally and locally. Yeah, 100 percent. I mean, I, I was saying this off the air. If Syracuse is winning more, she is on the midseason wooden award watch list. 100 percent, because Haley Van Lith is. Um, Deisha Fair is scoring more than Haley Van Lith. She's a better player than Haley Van Lith, even though Louisville came into the dome and, and beat us. It doesn't matter. She was, in my opinion, the best player on the floor, but Syracuse isn't winning. On so one leg, no less. It was the injury bug just got SU during that game. It was, I've never seen anything like it. But what's interesting is I think the men and the women are in a really similar situation in terms of the postseason. I think the women have to win out if they want any chance. And that's difficult. They're playing three top 25 opponents in a row um, with some of those games on the road. That's really, really tricky. But right now, I think the only way to the postseason for the women, considering they've dropped so many quad one, quad two games that should have been wins. What's so tricky for them is that now they're in crunch time. They didn't have that cushion to fall back on that one or two really great wins earlier in the season. They dropped those. So now they don't have a cushion. They have to win these games. And on top of that, if you don't, there's only the ACC tournament. But the good thing about that is that every team in the ACC is a quality win. The ACC is the best conference in women's basketball. I would say a little bit more than the SEC, which is a tall task to accomplish. But I think the ACC is doing it. If Syracuse can win out or come close to it, and win at least a game or two in the ACC tournament, I think they're in the conversation. Ideally, if they win out and win a game or two in the ACC tournament, I think they're solidly on the bubble. But I think, I was telling Josh this earlier, 
I think any kind of postseason, whether it's the NCAA or the NIT, is a good thing for the women's basketball team, especially in Felicia Leggett-Jack's first year, taking over for a team that was decimated by poor coaching. Yeah, no, no question. Facts. I, I, I was I was like we like you said, Em talked about this earlier in the article. Tiger disagreed, and then you know you can see it both ways. But I, you know, I don't ride with him a lot. But I, I, I did on that <laughs> one because you know, like you said, you have a, a first year head coach. You, you have you you you're coming from a lower level. You know, Buffalo is not a power. Buffalo not in the Power Five conference. Um, you know, and then, again, I wrote it in my article. The storied legend return, come home to the sideline thing does not always work. Ask Kenny Payne, ask Patrick Ewing. Just because you were good and they have your jersey retired and everybody likes you doesn't mean you're a good coach. So, yeah. like him said, any signs of positivity, upward trends, you feel what I'm saying, is great. You know, like you said, you probably, you know, ultimately, yeah, the Golden NCAA tournament, but it is still postseason play. And you look at the NIT, it's a lot smaller. And you, you like, like I said, that, that NIT uh, tournament, those 16 teams or whatever, that's the next group out for the NCAA tournament. So I would, you know, I would agree with you on that. And let me throw these stats at you. Again, I'm a good coach. So I bang up my friend. You talk about Deja Fair. Um, Kendrick Day, I'm going to compare her and KD stats because the men's late season 25 list just came out and your boy KD was on there. So let's look at KD stats. 21.7 points a game, six assists, four rebounds on 40.9 field goal percentage. You look at Miss Fair. 20 points even, 4.3 assists, 3.5 rebounds on 39% field goal shooting. So, and again, as much as I love my Tigers, we're in the AAC, so we're not a P5 conference. <laughs> so I think that you're right, Ms. Sheroff. That's two for two for you today. Usually I don't do that, but if you're on a roll. <laughs> I mean, you know, she, she's a Philadelphia Eagles fan, so clearly very smart. But um, <laughs> back to her point comparing um, uh, Daisha Fair to Haley Van Lip. Uh, Fair is averaging more points, more yep. assists, more steals, and shooting higher from three-point percentage, uh, shooting higher from three-point range than Haley Van Lith did. So Van Lith has a slight she edge in rebounding, and that's about it. She overtook Haley Van Lith after the game in the Dome, which I thought was really interesting because she went off. Um, yeah. She overtook Haley Van Lith in scoring. I think she was trailing by a tenth of a point per game or something, and she had herself had herself a day and took over um Haley Van Lith's spot as number two in the ACC. And Haley Van Lith against um with Daisha Fair and, and the rest of Syracuse guarding her was two for eleven shooting. So yep. <laughs> good on to you for that. Um now we'll we'll transition from on the court to off the court. Last week we discussed um Jim Beheim's post-game press conference after after the Virginia game and some comments he made in the post-game press conference or after the post-game press conference, um, after the win against Boston College, made some headlines this weekend um, with some things that he had said to Pete Thamel. Now, the long and short of it is um, he made a comment that um, Pittsburgh, Wake Forest, and Miami bought their teams. Um, He also said that it's up to him when he retires and that it's totally his choice. Um, he also said that with NIL, um, his big donor doesn't um, pay any of his players and um, that that's why that the whole um, NIL situation or why guys like Jay Wright, Coach Krzyzewski, um and others, Mike Bray retiring, um, have gotten out of the game. He also said that 95% of Syracuse fans want him still to be the coach. And um, 
that most of the critics, um, the the only constant critic that he hears is a local talk show host. Um, I'll we'll just go around the room and I guess get everyone's thoughts on that because he did clarify some of that during the ACC uh, teleconference today, um, and he he did issue a statement saying that you know he he should not have. Uh, singled out those teams and, and did not mean to um, imply that that they had done anything illegal um, and apologized to those teams for uh, for the comments that he made. Um, but um, other than that, we'll we'll go around the room. We'll start with with you, Sammy, on your thoughts about Jim Beheim's comments, including his uh, clarification in the statement and the ACC teleconference today. Well, part of me also wants to say that this interview is a one on one. It's after the press conference. Yes. And in a, in a lot of ways, I feel like you're getting, although it's kind of cornering Beheim to a certain extent. Um, and he I'll talk have, about that. Don't worry. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think that's his true thoughts. I think what he said he meant about these other schools, you don't say something like that and not have at least thought it once. It's not like a, a I slipped up type of comment, especially because it's coming after a win. You're in a good mood. You just picked up a win after a rough series of five games. I'm hesitant to take that uh, remark or comment, correct, clarification marks um, from today um, due to that kind of actuality. But I do kind of understand where he's coming from. But I also have questions, too, about the whole 20000 our, our guys make like $20,000. Wasn't there an article that I think it was Syracuse.com that Weissman's playing like a million to the payers total or something like that? Um, so there's just a, a lot of inconsistencies in what he said to what I've also seen. Um, so there, this whole situation was weird and it kind of messed up what I thought was a really well handled press conference after BC from him. I thought that was one of his more, um, and he even received one of those questions that was in a similar vein to the one that he took issue with after a loss in a re- previous game. And he explained why he thought the question was weird or invalid saying, um, that in a lot of these games against ranked opponents, against UNC, against Virginia, they never really had the lead. So it's not the same context per they had blowing the lead against Boston College. And I really liked the way I explained it. He took the time to say, this is why I don't agree with the question. I think it's a misconception. Loved it. I thought that was how he should have answered the first time. Obviously, easier to do that after a win than a loss. But whatever. I thought he took a good step and was much more positive in that press conference responsive than he had been um, over the past couple of weeks with those issues. But yeah. Um, I am very hesitant to believe this clarification. Well, I mean, but we'll go to you next, uh, Emily. But uh, I mean, the statement that came out was clearly a PR move trying to smooth things over and was probably written by a PR professional. I mean, that's that's pretty standard stuff. But um, Emily, your thoughts on on Jim Beheim's comments um, and then, you know, any clarifications after the fact? Yeah, I don't think anyone in the greater Syracuse area makes a PR professional's job harder than Jim Beheim. Um, it's, it's difficult to do, but job security. Oh yeah, absolutely. They're always going to have jobs as long as he's coaching. But um, Here's the thing. I understand where he's coming from about the NIL because Miami's NIL dealings are well-documented. It is well-documented <laughs> that local companies have athletes on their payroll without having them do much. And I understand where he's coming from because as a coach that's been in the game so long, seeing it transition from which school's the best fit and going to do the most 
for an athlete to which school can pay the most. I understand how that can be irritating as somebody who built his career during an era where it was about the quality of the school, the quality of the program. I understand the frustration. And to an extent, I understand calling out Miami, but Miami only. You can't call out Pitt and Wake Forest when those are unfounded. I'm sure they have a lot of NIL deals. That's fine. But nowhere near the level of the University of Miami. Um, But I get his frustration I understand calling them out by name to an extent, but at the same time, if you're at this point in your career and people do not like you this much, don't like, I get it though. I get where he's coming from, but when it comes to the, how do I put this? The 95% of people still want me coaching. That's not true. That's like very blatantly not true. 95% of people don't like chocolate. Yeah. Right. It's, it's just like, I, I, it, it gets to a point. I think the more accurate statement is 95% of people in Syracuse appreciate what he did for the program, but think it's time for him to pass, you know, pass the torch a little bit. Um, And I, I, I agree. I don't think this season will be his last. I think that next will be his last. I think he, I think he should at least see the freshman he brought in through at least two years and then pass the torch. But to say that 95% of people in Syracuse still want him coaching and a local radio show host is his only consistent critic is very blatantly untrue. And to be quite honest, I'm not sure why he would say something like that. Um, But it does get to a point where you have to, if you're Jim Beheim's PR person, you got to tell him, listen, like you're a legend of the game, but shut up. Josh, your thoughts. Oh, my thoughts are this is if Jim Beheim was a rapper, this would be a diss track. Those are my initial thoughts. Right of the bat, that's what you <laughs> asked me. Um, you know how we said I just said like ten minutes ago that me and Emily don't ad- agree. This is one of those things we didn't agree at all. At actually, pretty got heated. I can't lie. Um, Jim Beheim, I'll I can't. JB, them. when he acts like this, he's JB. Can't be Jim Beheim. He's JB. JB's acting like a hater right now. You talk about a Miami squad, a Miami program with not. Not even an ion of the basketball tradition, history, or legacy of Syracuse being better than Syracuse one year in the downtrodden ACC, and now you're hurling program-altering accusations at them because you're upset because your team didn't get the recruit that you want. That's just you're being a hater, and that's very you're just acting silly. So I'm saying NIL has opened the floodgates for all college athletes to get paid, which, you know, as a former college athlete, I'm not ever going to be decided against. So you're mad at the system, and yet you, do you think Adam Weissman is bringing fabulous and rappers and Elijah Moore to these games off the generosity of his own heart? Like, we have things set in place here to profit off the same NIL system that Nigel Pegg and Isaiah Wong are profiting off at Miami. It's just not working because, A, I mean, if you looked at a map, you would probably would go to Miami before Syracuse, New York, and, B, you know, you 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 can't you, some of these kids in these recruitments like it does come down to money, but like ultimately fit is a big thing. You see a lot of guys turn down these Georgia Alabama offers to get these places where you want to play. So fit is always a thing. You know, I don't I don't think we're at a hundred percent buyout rate for college recruits yet. I don't think it's gotten there yet. So for him to, you know, jump off the porch with these statements to the point to where a program where you said he doesn't, you know, there seems to be nobody that can really tell him no, for him to be a quip, you know recollection of his statements and actions that let me know immediately like hey even if there's no line for you the the line in the sand that was drawn you clearly crossed it and you know you're not going to represent our program this way and i think that it that was a good thing for SU because you know 
you can get in trouble for, for, for accusing people of stuff like that, like literal NCAA investigating, triggering trouble for, for those accusations. So I think that, you know, founded, unfounded, you know, there are certain things that even if you believe they're true, you don't throw around without solidified evidence to bring back. And I, it, for me, personally, and I rap like this, it looked like a guy having a tough season, looking at the top of ACC and throwing a temper tantrum. That's what it looked like to me. So literally, as we're recording this, Jim Beheim has issued another statement. I think this is further clarification on the comments that he made regarding um, it's his decision to retire whenever he wants. So his statement reads as follows, quote, as I've said many times previously, my employment as Syracuse men's basketball coach has always been determined by the university. I was asked about the possibility of retirement, and my answer was based on that, end quote. So um, that said, I'm going to give my thoughts on the comments he made to uh, Pete Thamel. And that's, I think with his, his mentioning of Wake Forest, Miami, and Pittsburgh was not necessarily to accuse them of wrongdoing, but rather to contrast the different ways in which they built their rosters, given the current climate of college basketball with the portal and NIL, compared to the way that Syracuse's was largely built, which is traditional high school recruiting and player development. You look at Jesse Edwards has been with the program for four years. Joe Girard has been with the program for four years. You got a bunch of new freshmen. Yes. There's a couple of transfers sprinkled in Samir Torrance, Monir Hima, uh, Monir Hima as, as examples, but it's largely kind of built on the way that college basketball programs have, have always been built. And I think some of the comments or perceived frustration is that he knows his method of building a program that he's done for 50 years of recruiting player development, finding players to fit your system, having them learn that system over multiple years, mixing in talented young guys with veterans and all of those things. He knows they work, but it's so much more difficult to do that in today's climate with guys being able to leave if they don't get playing time right away uh, with NIL opportunities, which could cause players to leave and all of that. So I think what he was trying to do was compare roster makeup, roster building um, in the way that he has done it, the way he currently did it with this year's roster, comparing it to the way that some other schools have approached it. The problem is, I think, twofold. One, he said it in just about the worst possible way that he could, right, and made it come across as accusing those schools of doing something uh, nefarious, something against the rules and all of those things. And it's very easy to see how that could be perceived that way when you read the comments. Having covered Bayheim uh, for a decade, having listened to Jim Bayheim for uh, basically the entire 40 years that I've been on this planet, uh, that's my assessment of what he was trying to get at. Now, um, the part about... 95% of Syracuse fans still support him. I think that was typical Jim Beheim exaggeration hyperbole. Did he actually mean 95% of people want him there? No, I don't think even at Syracuse's height, 95% of people wanted him there. Uh, there's always been a vocal minority that hasn't liked Jim Beheim. I don't think among the fan base. And that's, that's pretty much true everywhere. There were, I've, I saw after a year where Alabama didn't make the college football playoff, and there were Alabama fans that wanted Nick Saban fired. I mean, that's it's lunacy. There are people like that in every fan base. 95% of people don't like chocolate. 95% of people don't like cake. I mean, things that are like good things, things that everyone should like. 95% of people don't like them. 
Um, 95% of people don't like the Philadelphia Eagles because people have, have issues. So, you know, this, this happens. Um, 95% approval rating doesn't happen with anything, let alone an individual at a position of power, like a head basketball coach at a power five school. I do think, however, if you were to turn the head basketball coach position at Syracuse into a uh, position that you had to campaign for and win an election for. Okay, I heard Brent Axe talking about this on his radio show, and I think the comparison is is fantastic. I still think he'd win pretty easily, but he'd win with like sixty percent of the vote, not ninety five percent of the vote. That's that's how I think it would go. But I do think that that percentage is dwindling year to year. The more seasons you have with double digit losses, the more situations like this come up that require multiple clarifications. And there are some that have been supporters of his for a long time that, um, you know, that some of it, they say, all right, I'm just I'm just tired of all of this and I'm just ready for new blood. And I get that. That happens. Uh, as far as the NIL stuff goes with his comments about Weitzman and the he doesn't pay my guys a dime. And as Sammy said, there were uh, reports out there that he was paying guys millions of dollars a year and had agreements with several players currently on the team. He clarified that what he was trying to say is they weren't given anything before they came to Syracuse. So again, back to the roster, uh, the, the roster building um, comment that I made before. So we'll see how this all plays out. He spoke to each of the the head coaches, Wake Forest, Miami and and Pittsburgh, or at least uh, the Pittsburgh head coach and, and Wake Forest head coach, Steve Forbes and Jeff Capel both indicated that Bayheim reached out to them. So we assume that he did with Jim Laranaga as well. Um, ultimately, is any of this going to affect anything? Is a recruit going to not come to Syracuse because these comments are there? I don't think so. Is is a recruit going to pick Syracuse because the comments are there? Not really. So at the end of the day, it's really just gave sports talk shows and sports center and whatever else a whole bunch of fodder to talk about for several days. And at the end of the day, it'll be how much can you convince a recruit to come there because he can help you win? And how much NIL money is he getting coming to Syracuse versus going to UCLA, as an example? Uh, that said, I think it's now time to turn to lacrosse, and we will start with the men before we preview the women. Syracuse men's lacrosse started the season out with a win, 7-5 to five over Vermont. It was a defensive game. It was a game where both goalies were unbelievable. We saw some flashes from some of the young, talented players for Syracuse. Emily, you were there covering it for us at AllSyracuse.com, and it was... You know, it was good for Syracuse to start out with a win. I think you saw a lot of improvement defensively and especially in goal from what they were last year. Um, and they had some good opportunities offensively, but, you know, struggled to cash in on some of them a little bit. So finishing still an issue, but I think you saw some positive signs uh, in that season opener. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you have Joey Spolina coming in here as the number one recruit in the country. And and Coach Gary Gates said it after the game. Joey Spolina took 15 shots. Eight of them were on goal, which is incredibly impressive. He was still really dissatisfied. He I, he wanted to say something that you can't quite say to the media because it, it's got an expletive in it, but he settled for, I couldn't shoot today. Um, and he was right. But Coach Gate said, like, listen, he's a freshman. He's going to do this. It looked like someone who was trying too hard, but when he stops trying so hard, the shots are going to come to him. And I think he's 100% correct. Um, but Finn Thompson was outstanding. He had three points, a uh, goal and two assists and Jackson Burt whistle scored two goals. That's a really, really good sign. 
But by far, the MVP, at least in my mind, was Will Markingle. He was sensational. Like you said, Fantastic. like were incredible. I think he had like 13 saves. It was it was ridiculous. And some of the saves were just phenomenal. It was it was great. Uh definitely gives Syracuse fans hope having someone like him in goal. But to only beat a team in such a, a, a weaker conference, to only beat them by two. I think that has a some Syracuse fans concerned. I just don't know if that level of concern is warranted. This is a game. This team has twenty something freshmen on it. This is to be expected. Like there's there's some growing to be done. But when you have a head coach like Gary Gate, who is a legend of the game, that's doable. And like you said, Joey Spelina has just this is his first game of collegiate lacrosse. He's gonna get better. He's a game changer. He's a player who has the potential to completely change the dynamic of a team. He is outstanding, but you also got a bunch of other great transfers. Um, you know, people who have played for USA lacrosse, like it's, it's a phenomenal state that the program is in. Now it's about putting the pieces together defensively. Yeah. There were some problems. Um, the defense in the first half, not good, but it looked really a lot better later in the game. Um, I think the entire team looked better. The offense looked really disorganized at first, but it, it got better as the game went on. And I think that's encouraging because even improvement within a game can be a good indicator of improvement within a season. These guys are just starting to play together. It's got a lot of freshmen, a lot of transfers. There's some acclimation that still needs to happen. Um, but I think they're getting there. I, I think this is certainly going to be a better year. Once Joey Spelina and the freshmen who are these highly touted recruits really stop trying so hard and forcing shots, it's going to come to them. Coach Gate is right. It, it happens all the time. We're even seeing it in basketball with Judah Mintz, freshman mistakes when he tries too hard. That's a thing that happens when you transition from high school to elite level college. So I, I think that that was a good way to open the season, but I also think that the scheduling is really well done because you have two teams that, quite frankly, you should crush this weekend. Um, there's absolutely no excuse to not crush, um, Holy Cross and you should beat you Albany by quite a bit. So I think that the scheduling also really helps things it's, it's good momentum going into a tough schedule. Yeah. And that, that's where I wanted to go next, uh, and to get your thoughts, Sammy is the fact that as Emily mentioned, you know, there's growing pains, there's, you know, trying to get used to playing together and you can practice all you want, but it's still different when you get into a game scenario, but the fact that they've got. Uh, Albany and Holy Cross up next that gives that's two opponents that they should beat and it sort of gives you live game reps to sort of work out some of those kinks because right after that you go at Maryland North Carolina and Duke at home and that is a really rough three game stretch where you're going to learn a lot about where Syracuse men's lacrosse really is this season but you get those two games, not to say they're warm-up games and you shouldn't take your opponent seriously and all you know all the cliches that you can talk about, but it gives them an opportunity to work on some of those things and to get a little bit more in sync for when they get to that rough stretch. So I, I think the schedule, as Emily pointed out, works out pretty favorable for them. No, I think it does. And one thing I actually just wanted to add what Emily said, I thought as well, not only in the second half did the defense look a little better, I thought it was really nice to see them respond to a Vermont run. I know Vermont's not the greatest team, but the fact that they were able to respond to the four goals that Vermont scored and made that game more interesting than arguably it should have been, I thought that was at least a strong sign. And two, when you're bringing so many new players, I mean, you throw a room full of toddlers in the first class of first grade, none of them are going to get along right away. Like you have to wait for time 
things gel. And especially a lot of teams aim to play like positionless lacrosse. They want players to move. They want uh, it to be reactive and fluid. And a legend of the game like Keats know this and those. He, they just, these kids are so talented. Let them cook. Let them do their thing. And you give them kind of more time to develop. That kind of comes through a bit more. Um, and that, that fluidity will show. But in terms of these two games, I like them as warm-ups, but I am a little concerned about that first Maryland game. I think it's going to be a big jump um, in terms of just go, just from one extreme of – I don't want to discredit Holy Cross and Albany because if it's seen you play – okay. See, when I first started, you were big big on the positive here, so I'm going to give them the benefit <laughs> of the doubt until we okay. see them. Um <laughs> And I, I do obviously think they're the must wins in terms of you just can't, you can't let those losses go because that'll really put a stamp on kind of the progress you made from game one. But don't, as fans, get too concerned over the Maryland result because you're going from one extreme to the other a little bit. But pay attention to what this team looks like in that North Carolina game. Pay attention to what this team looks like in Duke because arguably – if they stumble out the gates and the Maryland game doesn't go well, and then maybe they lose to North Carolina by two goals and then maybe grab a win against Duke, that's what I'm looking to see and hopefully will see. I'm hoping actually to see a three-game sweep during that stretch. But I want to be somewhat realistic, although extremely hopeful, and just hopefully see continued progress, and especially on that attacking end. Obviously, there's still some stuff to clean up defensively. But on attacking end, to see more fluidity and just things look a little more seamless. Now, it's, it's quite the opposite for the women, actually, right? The men are sort of easing into that level of competition, whereas the women are starting out with it right off the bat. Your season opener is at home against number four, Northwestern, and then the next game is against number two, Maryland at home. Josh, I want to go to you. Um, you're a former athlete. You've you've played in in season openers. You played in big games. What how much different is it when you're preparing for a season opener, but you're not just preparing for, you know, hey, this is a, a team we know that we should be we're better than so we can kind of ease into it, work out some things and, you know, like the men's team is doing, the women's team is going right into elite level competition, competition that they're going to be battling with all season for, you know, tournament seating and uh, you know, once they get into the tournament, potential final four national championship type runs, you're playing those teams right off the bat. Uh, how how does what's your mentality going into games like that? And, and you know, how do you prepare for, for situations like that? I mean, especially for the women, you know, it, it, we football is just like a, um, I mean, the, the designation levels of intensity practice is just is a lot more regimented because, you know, you just can't. You can, the, the body only has so many fully padded practices, and I don't know. I mean, lacrosse is a physical sport, but in terms of practice, why I don't know the, the physicality element that you're getting, you know, banging bodies. But for the women, it just sounds like it would um, the intensity and the importance of the, their preseason regiment and training camp is just exponentially, you know, more because you, you talk about the men. A, you know, something that I've known as being a novel lacrosse guy. You know, this is a talented program that had a, you know, like you said, number one overall player right now. Our friend Cole Curse, you know, obviously, there's some veteran leadership. There's a very overall talented group up and down the roster. So when you have that type of when the the question is um, chemistry and not talent. You do emphasize on in-game moments, being able to round in the form, you know, in in-game chemistry. Because if that's if you're not worried about the parts and, and more necessarily how the parts will work, the only way that you can get those parts to work is in-game. You can practice as much as you want to, but that chemistry that you're going to want to go deep into the the, the postseason and the playoffs, you're not going to be able to develop that in the preseason, anyways. 
So for the women, you're talking about, you know, jumping right into elite competition. You know, I would advise them in a, you know, like you said, you do want to treat, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll ditch, you know, I, mean, I don't got no times up here. But you do want to treat it. It is still a regular season game. You do want to approach it with, you know, it is the first game of the season regardless. But it is, as a guy that's played week zero games versus versus real opponents versus guys that you knew was going to get the dub, you know, it, it's more of a, a natural, like, you know, load-up process too, like you said, a top five team on the road. But for the women, you know, you just really got to emphasize, you know, making sure your last two weeks in training camp, you know, body-wise, you know, uh, playbook-wise, like that you're really, you know, on par, you know what I'm saying? You really should be game ready a week before the game when you're going to opponent a season, a game like that. And I had a, a situation like that um, my freshman year. We went down to Atlanta to play the MIAC Swag Challenge. And, like, that's the model. Like, if you're going against a team, especially a, a, a big game, you need to be ready game week before a week before a game week because it's like you don't have you don't have any room for error you're not coming off the game film that you can review the previous week the other team has no game film to review you know what i'm saying there's no let me look at last week for them so it just raises it in, it raises the intensity of your your preseason your your training camp and you know honestly you'll probably be more this is like a boxer really you'll be more in tip-top saving condition than you'll probably be ever because the the first game matters and that, that intensity is there versus you know match of that you you expect to take, yeah, and and the I mean the good thing is like Northwestern and Maryland are in the same exact boat, right? That they have to start their season with elite level competition against Syracuse. Syracuse at least is at home, um, and the fact that Syracuse is a veteran team I think helps them as well. But Emily, going into these first two games, Northwestern and Maryland, two of the top five teams in the country, uh, it feels they got to win one of those at least, right? I I think to kind of keep themselves uh, feeling pretty good about where their season's heading. Yeah, 100%. I mean, to open your season against the team that knocked you out of the NCAA tournament last year is bold. Like, that is, that's bold. That's, that's bold. But it's tricky. I mean, this is a title, this, this team is, it's seen as a title contender, right? Syracuse is seen as a title contender based on the year they had last year. And more importantly, the percentage of their roster that they retained. Like, this is not like the men's team where they have 22 freshmen and a million transfers. Like, no, they have their core still. They have the preseason player of the year, Megan Tyrell. Like, this is a team that's built to win. I think they'll win one of the two, if not both. I have a hard time believing that they will drop both of those because of the amount of talent that they've retained. But if you drop both of them, that's bad for the mentality. Like, that, that's not good for a team that knows that they kept so much talent. Um, but I think Kayla Trainer is an outstanding coach. I think she's a prime example of like Felicia Leggett. Jack Josh was saying earlier, it can be disastrous sometimes when, you know, former legends come back to their alma maters. It doesn't always work out. For Kayla Trainer, it's working out. She's a Syracuse lacrosse legend. She's absolutely phenomenal. I don't see her letting such a talented team lose both those games. I think Maryland is the much harder opponent, but it's still bold to open your season against a team like Northwestern. But luckily, they don't have the growing pains and the acclimation to do that the men do. And that is a huge benefit. And you also have Megan Tyrell. She's really she's I don't think people who don't know lacrosse understand how dominant she is. (laughs) She is. She's absolutely outstanding. Um, She has the potential to carry this team on her back but she doesn't need to which is the incredible part about this roster yeah preseason player of the year for a reason and, and has oh, yeah. a legitimate shot to 
to be the national player of the year by the time the season's done. As I, and I think if she gets there, that probably means Syracuse is competing for a national championship once yeah. again. That'll do it for episode 66 of the Believe in Syracuse podcast presented by Bet Online and Hoffman Sausage Company for Sammy, Emily, and Josh. I'm Mike McAllister, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.